We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to building environment professionals about gender equity and how women experience the architecture and construction space as our cultural awareness shifts beyond the elementary family model. Our guest in this episode is Ellen Buttrose, who is a registered architect and associate with people-oriented design in Cairns, working across the diverse climate and cultures of Queensland and the Torres Strait. In 2020, Ellen was the recipient of the Emerging Architect State Prize in Queensland for her work that brings a local lens to global issues including climate change, Indigenous empowerment and housing affordability. Ellen shares what informed her choice to become an architect, rising to the occasion as a woman in the architecture profession, and how the progression of women's contributions in architecture has highlighted the issues of work-life balance. I'll now hand over to Bridie O'Toole, who is an Imagine representative based in Queensland. Let's jump in. So hello everyone, I wish to open this podcast by acknowledging the traditional owners across Australia as the original custodians of our land and waters and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I am here today speaking on Turbul and Yagara country to the 2020 Emerging Architect and Pod Architect, Ellen Buttros. Hello Ellen, where are you speaking from? Hey Bridie, I'm speaking from Cairns. I'm on Gimoy Wallabari Yadinji country in the far in the deep north. Amazing. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today, Ellen. Let's start with a few background questions on yourself. So tell us a little about yourself. What was your childhood like, for example? Oh, my childhood. I, so I actually grew up mostly in Cairns, but a bit in Adelaide and a bit in the Pacific. It was a pretty tropical childhood. And yeah, a lot of it was very outdoorsy, a lot of kind of hiking and biking and camping and dragging bikes through mud and that kind of thing. It was, it was pretty outdoorsy up this way. Amazing. So yeah. yeah. And um, what drew you to the practice of architecture? I actually really didn't want to be an architect when I was growing up. My father is an architect and a great architect, but um, I saw how damn hard he worked. And yeah. I was like, no, nah, uh, that's not for me. I cannot <laughs> do those hours. I'm not going to be a slave to the job like he is. But I took some time out after university, mm-hmm. or after school, sorry, and thought actually it's probably a far better path than a few other things that I had on my list in being able to help other people in a sense. So kind of in the sense of designing buildings for a broader group of people. I think when I went overseas, I I had an experience where I was doing a bit of work and really could see how architecture could be built for people specifically and and wanted to be involved in in shaping buildings that were for people really so it was less about seeing the daunting nature of the workload and more about (laughs) what it can actually do in the world so that's really what inspired me the outcomes of the hard work exactly right exactly yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. So what what else was on that list out of curiosity, if not architecture? Yeah, no, there was a large part of wanting to be an actor in theatre. Oh, Um, cool. And then there was a part of me that wanted to go into health. So really there wasn't much that wasn't on the list for a while there. So (laughs) it was pretty broad. But working with people. Yes. um, Yeah, it's been a constant. No, definitely. I think that's the beautiful thing about architecture. It's this idea of creating spaces for people, as you say, and it's this idea of creating art and also working with people. There's that duality of experience, which is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. So you grew up watching your father slave away in the industry. (laughs) When do you think you knew you were an architect? Like for some people, they don't feel like they're an architect until they're registered, but was there a turning point for you? turning point it's funny I kind of think that it's something that when I've you know at studying and then finishing architecture school that I really you know was striving for like you know the kind of hold it a bit in light well I held it a bit in lights when I was when I was striving to become a formal architect but I think as I've become one it's become far less important and I almost have become far more interested in all the things that really may not be defined as architecture but are totally related so like sociology or climate change and mm. ecologies and things and it's it's almost I look back at what I was doing originally which was more art practice and things and working for government and which I at the time I didn't really define as architecture as such but I think it totally is so it's almost like it's as I've probably become close to the definition of a formal architect it's it's like it's mattered perhaps a bit less yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Well, now that we have a bit of background about you, Ellen, let's move to the opening question that brought us here today on the Emerging Architect and Graduate Networks podcast, Hearing Architecture. So how are women experiencing the architecture and construction space as our cultural awareness shifts beyond the nuclear family and work model, in your opinion? A great question. I guess... I can only speak from my own experience. I'm a young, hetero, white woman with no current caring responsibilities, except for, I guess, my own wild garden. Uh, (laughs) I, I I, I think it's really important to point out that, like, so many different women have such different experiences, depending on a lot of that, like depending on age, depending on ability. But I think the industry is still very nuclear. I think it's yeah. still very heteronormative. And Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's so steeped in that tradition that, yeah. you know, we're definitely moving beyond that, and which I think is incredibly exciting. And I think that it's going to take a, a long time for that really big structural change to happen, yeah. which I think is bigger than architecture. You know, it's not just architecture that's battling with this. But I do think a lot has changed. You know, I work for a 90% female practice, which is pretty wild. And I think, you know, back when I was at university to kind of consider that, there are a few practices that I look to, like Muff in the UK. Yeah. They were really the exception at that point, whereas I think it's becoming more and more common to see female-led practice and and a practice that I used to work in had a lot of men who were taking time out, like large swathes of time out to look after their children, which was fantastic to support their partners. And, yeah, I think it's changing. I think it's slowly changing. I think that there's a growing awareness of how to make these things possible. And I think that, you know, parlor and the 
growing thrum of like these conversations is, is really building and that's so exciting. It is changing and it's building momentum. Yeah. I think no, definitely. Like I went through my architectural registration last year and at the conferring ceremony, it was really nice to see the stark difference between the number of women that were registered 50 years ago because they also celebrated oh, wow. individuals that had been working in the industry for 50 years and there was one yeah. woman. And then on the other side, registrants from 2020 and 21 were like 50-50, which was really positive to see. So, yeah, oh, I agree with you. It's, it's changing slowly but surely. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that. My grandfather is actually an architect as well for a period of time, oh, a short period of time. Yeah, and he talks about back in the day when he was <laughs> practising and he's like, yeah, I think I knew there was one female architect in our practice and I don't even wow. know if she was an architect. So I was just like <laughs> imagining what that office would be like. It's yeah. just sick madmen. Yeah. I don't mean imagine what that office would have been like as a woman, like how intimidating that would have been. 100%, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? So you're a third generation architect. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, a bit wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's lovely. We sort of touched on this, but in my personal life, I'm seeing a gradual shift towards women becoming the primary income earners in relationships and in mm. the family. Has this been your experience also? We've talked about how the nuclear family affects the workplace as an architecture, but outside generally and in society, have you noticed any kind of change like that? Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you there. I, I see a, like a good handful of of my close peers who are definitely in that scenario of, of being yeah. a primary breadwinner or or having their career as the as the one that's kind of making life changes within their family. You know, that's like we're going to move for your career or that kind yeah. of thing, which which is amazing. Yeah, it's so positive. I think so positive. Yeah. I think like the definition or women are just seen as perhaps more multifaceted than what traditionally or, or we were, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And I, th- I think that's really exciting. It's like we're beyond the support roles, which, you know, support roles are incredibly important, but our definitions are more dynamic than that. We can hold more plates than just being this or just being that. And I think that that's changing for men too, which is yeah, really absolutely. exciting. I like how you said that, um, the idea of holding more plates. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a cool idea, yeah. Yeah, you're not, you're not just a mother or just a, uh, you know, which. You're juggling many plates. And, yes, I agree with you. It's the same for men. Like their role is changing, I think, for the better too, which is yeah, fantastic. Mm. So your first role in the industry was at Petalthorpe in 2005, working with your father, and then you graduated in 2012. So what was your experience like as a woman in the industry back then, so back in the early 2000s, and how does and does it differ from your experiences today? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like back in 2005, I just graduated from, you know, raiding the biscuit tin to being given a <laughs> desk in the office. So, you know, <laughs> I think there was a few raised eyebrows there, but it's hard to picture it back then. I do remember a lot of kind of laminated posters about kind of, you know, doing your dishes and things like that, but quite a male dominated place. It definitely wasn't. There were women that were working in that practice too, but it did feel like more of a blokey environment yeah. yeah yeah I think about my experiences when I first graduated and my roles um 
as a young graduate architect and the kind of amount of yelling that would happen by project managers and that kind of stuff being thrown in the deep end really quick, yeah, which I loved, but also just feeling like I had to accept these circumstances where people were really throwing their weight around and it was just like, oh, no, this is part of it. I'm just going to kind of muddle through it. And I'm (laughs) going to boardrooms that were just, filled with project managers who were all wearing the same shirts and kind of being 25 men who looked very similar (laughs) and um, being there with my female colleague and being the only two women in the room and and things like that. I think the quotas are changing and I see that a lot. You know, I'm working with a lot more women in allied industries as well, which is fantastic. It's not an entire consultant team of men or project managers like I think that that's really exciting too that it's not just architecture that's changing but you know engineering fields are also incredibly oh yes yeah yeah yeah. 100% yeah yeah how about yourself have you well yeah so I started out quite young in my career as well I've been working since 2010 yeah I started working with my father in Townsville as well and I think my experiences have been the same as yours that intimidating idea of sitting in a room full of men wearing a similar outfit but yeah, as I've gotten older, definitely I've seen more women sitting at the table and as you say, not just in architecture, but in engineering as well. And it's been, yeah, a very positive experience as I've slowly moved through my career as well. So yeah. Yeah, but, right. yeah. So additionally, you're registered in both Queensland and Victoria. Do you notice any like cultural differences between the experiences of women in these um, states or is it much the same? Yeah. So I started in Cairns and I was down south for about 12 years and then moved back up to Cairns. I was thinking about this a little bit. A friend of mine who I think said to me something once where the greatest cultural kind of experience you'll have is if you go and live in your next door neighbor's house. And I I often think about that comment and I think it's really true to practice as well. Right. And in architecture, depending on which practice you're in, who your consultants and clients are, who you're coming up against, it will kind of really shape what your experience is in a place. So I think, you know, within Melbourne, within Cairns, that's 100% true. So the cultural differences between perhaps are not. There are, there definitely are differences. But they're just not great differences. Not- yeah, or it's hard to, it's hard to kind of surmise the differences are so nuanced that it's hard to kind of collect them all as, as one observation. Yeah. I think when I was living in Melbourne, I was really, I loved it. And I was often in the company of people who shared my worldview and who had mm, a really great. well thought out, you know, we were often having conversations that were really complimentary in a sense, like people I was around, we often thought simile or you know the competitions are almost how left are you or how left are you kind (laughs) of you know it's it's that kind of a bit of an echo chamber but a beautiful one and what it produces out of that but I think in far north Queensland I'm often in rooms of men and women who have far different opinions or views or cultural experiences or backgrounds from my own like I think that that is perhaps the really big difference between my experience in Queensland and Victoria is is that I'm constantly redefining my lens because of the people mm. who I'm around often, which I think is is great. So I don't know if that's a particularly gendered response, but it, it's I think it it's weighs a cultural into that response. as well. Yeah, it's a cultural yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's more about that. I'm I'm often in 
in Queensland and in far north Queensland challenged in a multiple of ways or I'm often working to make sure that in what I do I'm, I'm not imposing my views necessarily there's a dialogue that is that honors both people's experience I guess sometimes mm. it's not as easy as that but yeah no that's yeah. very interesting and I suppose even though the experiences aren't driven by gender, it does shape your experience in the industry anyway. So there's Mm. a multitude of things that contribute to experiences and it's not just about gender, it's also about culture and environment. So, yeah, it's interesting. Mm, Yeah, yeah. How about you, though? You've worked in, you know, regional Queensland and in in Brisbane. Have you noticed differences between? Yeah, I probably think it's more about – the amount of work that you do because I came from small practice in Townsville. So I worked for Tropo Architects. My dad was the North Queensland director for a few years and we worked together, which was really nice. And because it was a small company, we worked out of this little Queenslander in Hyde Park in Townsville and it was just the two of us. (laughs) So (laughs) I started out pretty similar to you where I (laughs) was just a little administration uh, member of staff and not really knowing what I was doing. Um, And then as my qualifications increased, so too did my experience and responsibility. So going to side and undertaking defects, working with engineers. So, but I probably was thrown more in the deep end, like you said, you were yourself as well, because I had to, because it was smaller practice. Whereas now I work in a company like Hassel, which is a really large company and your experience isn't as wide and as vast and your responsibility isn't as vast, but there's definitely better systems in place in a mm. large company like Hassel. But mm. so my experience probably wasn't about place. It was more about the size of the practice. So, yeah. but I mean, definitely working in Townsville, a lot of the work that dad and I did together was houses and it was very much about designing for context and place and about opening up the building, letting air in. So it was probably different in that regard as well. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I can relate to that. Going from yeah. designing in Melbourne to part of Queensland is a, yeah, a lot very, more openings up here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A lot more ceiling fans in town. Yeah. <laughs> you come to Brisbane and no house has like no houses have ceiling fans, and I'm just baffled by that. Whereas I had <laughs> ceiling fans in every uh, room in the family home in Townsville. So <laughs> it's yeah, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how people deal with climate in different places as well. So. So I read an article recently about the unspoken burden of women in architecture to not only rise to the occasion as strong leaders, but advocate for inclusivity and equity. Has this been your experience also? Mm. Yeah, 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 definitely, 100%. I think I touched on it before that really the reason why I got into practice was to work with people who um, are underrepresented perhaps in the built environment. And I think that that really has been a clear through line for me right from the beginning and what I still try and aim for today. Yeah, I think buildings have a really powerful place for promoting inclusion. And Yeah, absolutely. I remember having stand-up arguments with colleagues down south about a police station and how we need to design the front of it so that it was clearly visible so people felt safe to approach this building and I think that it's been something that it's why I got into architecture and I think also for architects I think it's kind of like what we're seeing at the moment in federal politics it's like we we need the same representation of architects as who we're designing for so we need the people who we're designing for to be architects as well you know in the sense of as I said before, we have a very white, very cis kind of 
makeup of architects predominantly, not always, but I feel like it would be great to see more architects that are of more diversity designing for the people who occupy the buildings so that yeah absolutely yeah so did you say sorry that you designed a police station uh yes yeah yeah yeah, cool that'd be very interesting (laughs) yeah down south in in melbourne it was um it was designed as a very fortified the brief was a very kind of fortified very large police station and and the entry was was meant to be something that you weren't allowed to necessarily see into which I think as a woman and and you know if you're a victim of crime or you need to go somewhere to feel safe it's intimidating it's yeah. really intimidating and I think that those different experiences and different ways we can contribute to design from from having diversity of experience I think is really important yeah definitely yeah. no that would have been very interesting like I never really thought about it until you mentioned it but yes the the yeah. buildings that are tied to police stations are often very intimidating so it would have been very intriguing 100%. to work on a project like that yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah no it was it was a lot of a lot of ethical debate in that one <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine yeah. in the same article it talks about the idea of the development of architecture becoming more about the practice of care so what is your interpretation of care in practice? Yeah. You sort of touched on it a little bit earlier. but mm-hmm. I think the article you're referring to, which you sent to me, thank you for that, really frames care beautifully as within architecture as something that can be viewed as incredibly holistic from a practice structure to outcomes to well-being to how you kept people within practice how you kept projects and outcomes yeah when I think of personally about care I I spent a couple of years caring for my mum which was really the reason why I came back to Cairns and at the time I was I loved my job in Melbourne and I really didn't I was completely blindsided by that that experience coming back up north and from that, I have so much admiration for people who care for others and are able to still practice and, yeah, and hold absolutely. their lives together. And I think that that's one of the really positive things that is coming out of changing practice is the space for people to be able to care for others, whether it be a child, whether it be a family member, whether it be for your own mental health. Like I think that those broadening of conversations within our practice is so valuable because it exactly how that article frames it it's so holistic in how we we need to care for our environment care for how we produce buildings and how we look after each other within practice like I think it was a really nice article in how it talked about tying all those things together I think it's got a huge place in how architecture and the practice of architecture is evolving yeah Yeah. it's interesting that you say like care extends to so many things Mm. other than just caring for an individual it's about caring for the work and caring for the output that you make and the contributions that you make so Mm. yeah it's very interesting and I do myself as well have a lot of admiration for people that undertake caretaker roles while also working in the industry or studying even I remember Mm. Mm -hmm. when I was doing my master's there was a woman who had her child there at the studio printing her final assignment and I was just amazed I was like I'm barely able to do this on my own how do you do it while caring for a child so it is really positive to see the way companies are like adapting and becoming more flexible to accommodate that care that needs to happen outside of the workplace 
I think I said this to you when we caught up before this podcast that I love seeing at the bottom of people's email signature, this company supports flexible working. I'm not available on these days. And it's just happening more and more, which I think is really positive. I yeah. couldn't agree more. It's great. It's great yeah. to see. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about flexibility in the workplace as it's changed probably predominantly your and women's experiences, but let's move on to how you think this flexibility extends to making positive changes for men in the industry and how do you think flexibility has made men's experiences in the industry more positive? Mm, yeah, big question and I feel like it's so topical at the moment. There's so yeah. much discussion around childcare and, and how it impacts women, but I think also for men like being involved in family but also having that ability to say actually like I have other things in my life to be able to to do as well as architecture and I think that that can only be beneficial for both men and women and I think the patriarchy affects men too in the in the narrow definitions of how we structurally view men's contribution to society and I think that broadening only helps everyone and yeah I completely um, agree yeah I think it's changing slowly and I think there's certainly room for more and I think everyone taking on care roles and sharing the industry is yeah only beneficial for everyone for mental health for I think yeah whenever anyone is limited to certain roles there is no room for growth and so I think any changes to stereotypical and typical understandings of gendered roles is always for the better. Completely, completely, yeah. So we talked about the increased representation of women. You talked about how your grandfather knew only other one female architect while he was practicing. And I talked about that stark contrast between architects that have been contributing to the industry for 50 years against those who registered last year. How do you think women have contributed to the transformation of architecture as a profession? I think in a whole myriad of ways. I think as a profession, I think it's definitely starting to become more inclusive. And I think within particular corners, it's really, really changing to be far more open. I do think that that's not in every corner, though. I think there is a large sector of architecture that is not changing quite as rapidly. Um, I mean, you only have to look at parlor particularly and and the incredible work that they're doing but also I think the diversity of thought that happens within practice and the contribution of different modes of thinking and I think that encompasses culture as well to be able to have broader discussions about the profession and and outcomes and the built environment I think that it's almost in every facet in, in a way. I'm, I'm not being very clear about this, but I think there's more scope. You know, I, th- I think about when I first started in architecture school, I had the impression that in order to make it in architecture as a, as a woman, you almost had to become a bit of a Tyrannosaurus. And I no longer <laughs> think that that's the case. And I think that's yeah. to do with mentors and, and women that I've seen like negotiate, you know, with, with standing on the shoulders of giants of women who've really had to push through and have changed it for us, the next generation who are coming through and the ones following us. Yeah, exactly, for the better. And it's kind of, you know, removing those big boulders that sit, in the way or help you negotiate around those boulders because you've seen how other people have done it. And I think that that is incredibly powerful that, 
you can't be what you can't see, I believe, wholeheartedly. Mm. Um, and, I, yeah, I think that it's changed the profession hugely. Yeah, I like what you said there with this idea of diversity of thought. I think that definitely men and women lead very differently and both are very important and vital to the positive and progressive outcomes of projects. So I liked mm. that idea, that diversity mm. of thought. Um, mm, definitely. We see, uh, like I see a lot in practice working with different cultures as well, whether it be First Nations uh, yes, cultures absolutely. And, and things like that. It, it's the way you approach the world or the built environment and a worldview that you bring to something it can be in very tiny ways or it can be in huge fundamental ways but it very directly I think leads to different outcomes and and different conversations yeah important. yeah absolutely that diversity of thought obviously and absolutely doesn't extend just to gender it's about so many things so yeah it's interesting so the notion of imposter syndrome is thrown around a lot in all workplaces so not just architecture the idea that we're not good enough. Is this something you've ever experienced in your own career? Yeah, I think I felt imposter syndrome a lot early on. I think it's a very common feeling. I see it in a lot of my peers who I work with. Um, I think there's this idea that as a young graduate particularly that you're almost a burden on a practice, that you're taking up time or taking up space and that Mm -hmm. I had this feeling so much that I owed my employer a lot because they were taking me on and, and yep. therefore I had to absolutely completely prove that I had value in being there. And I think it's taken a very long time for that to slowly subside. I still feel like I have that to a certain point. And, you know, like I'm coming from a third generation architect. So it's, you know, and you still felt and that. I still feel like that. Yeah. So it seems, <laughs> I think there's the hierarchy in architecture practice is still alive and well and, I think the power of great mentors and great nurturers can't be underestimated. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I definitely felt the same when I started out as well, that I had to go above and beyond to prove myself because, like yourself, I felt like I was a bit of a burden on the industry in the mm. beginning. So I definitely think that that experience is not just felt by women, it's felt by anyone starting out in any industry really. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think we'll close this podcast just as we began it with a few questions about yourself. Where do you feel like you are in your career today and what are you most excited for right now? Great question. And I think something that I don't think about often enough, I don't think many of us do, is so in the in the throngs of working through the nitty gritty of the day to day. Yeah. I still feel like I'm growing all the time. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And I, I really like that about architecture and that each project is just totally different and you'll learn something in every project and you're just going to be open to it. I think perhaps learning less about the nuts and bolts at the moment, but more I've been thinking a lot about communication and I feel it's just so central to what we do. Um, oh, yeah, completely. In, yeah, in every aspect, like from being able to sit and yarn up with elders <laughs> to be able to build trust with clients yeah. um, in projects that are so deeply personal, but also then the opposite of being able to push back on unrealistic project expectations and with yeah. project managers and and then also how to work with colleagues and, and yeah. um, create a space where we all feel like we can contribute and mentoring but also, yeah, allowing space. I think yeah. I've been thinking a lot about communication. I think that's 
that's what I'm excited for right now and because I feel like I've still got a lot to learn in that space. And No, I think that's really great, the idea of that you think you still have ways to go to grow. And mm. I think that's amazing because I think when you don't feel like you have anywhere to go, it's what's the point? And I think yeah. that the best outcomes and the best project outcomes come from when you're very uncomfortable and you feel out of your depth and you're constantly feeling like you have to grow to keep up with the project. So I think that's... Yeah, that's amazing. And it's amazing that someone with such an amazing career as yourself even yeah. feels that way today. So thank you for sharing that. Cheers. No worries. Yeah, no, I definitely think that that little bit of uncomfort or that little bit of fear, like you yeah. said, it's just certainly that nothing pushes you more, isn't it? It's like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> get this one right. <laughs> it's definitely not enjoyable being in that uncomfortable place, but it's the only time that you grow. <laughs> yeah, completely. And final question, how do you think you have evolved personally throughout your career from the young student starting out at Petathorpe to now as an architect at People Orientated Design? Good question. That's a really, um, again, another one that I haven't really thought about much. I think one of the biggest things has been kind of what I touched on before, like going through architecture school and graduating and having this really big expectation of what an architect is and what the goals look like and and where I wanted to be and stuff like that. Whereas now I feel like I concentrate perhaps a bit more on the small wins and that, you know, architecture is a really long game and and there's a lot (laughs) that you have to be able to celebrate the kind of beautiful small evolutions. And I think that really is also to do with gender inequality too. Like, you know, this deep structural change that's happening, but it's again, a long game and the small wins and the small bits are almost in a way more important than the big ones. I think sometimes it's now way less about, you know, a big complete project that you kind of put a bow on at the end. It's, I think if you were to live with that as the goal for architecture, I find that I, I don't find it very sustaining. So I think the small wins and the small, you know, having a really good meeting with someone or a really great workshop where you actually feel like everyone's working towards something really the great. same goal. The yeah. same goal, yeah, exactly, or able to share. And I think that equality and gender completely fit into that too. It's like those small changes that you see along the way that it's like actually it is still working it is still we are still going down the track of 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 change I think that that's really exciting and I think that's definitely what's changed for me since being in architecture school and and being a young architect Mm. yeah that's amazing because I think like it's all of the small wins that come together that contribute to the overall outcome and the overall Mm. project so if you get a number of small wins the overall thing will be a huge win <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, 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 yeah. totally and, so and rather a, yeah yeah exactly. it's an interesting way to look at it and definitely like you said it's a long game it's a way to keep moving forward yeah as well. well thank you Ellen thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today and contribute to the hearing architecture podcast it's really great to get your insight into your experiences as a woman in, in the industry and also your experiences culturally you have an amazing, extensive and expansive career that you've developed and that sits behind you. And it's really great to talk to you. So thank you very much for taking the time. 
This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guest in this episode, Ellen Buttrose from People Oriented Design. Thank you so much for everything you've contributed to architecture, including your work on sustainable design, Indigenous empowerment and gender equity. We can't wait to see the future initiatives that you're involved in. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy, and the Imagine production team was Bridie O'Toole, Myron Montero, Genevieve Vu and Rohanna Fullerton. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.